Welcome, everyone, to Redeemer Radical Reflections from Reading Rightly, also known as the Five R's. Uh, that is, if you know, like if you're Scotty and you don't remember what the the podcast is called <laughs> from from last week. Um, I am George Cagle. We have uh, with us Scotty Jinx. Hey, and for a record third time, Evan Melcher. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everyone. So, uh, Evan is back. He is uh, joining us. We are talking about chapter 45 of Isaiah. Uh, this is very rare that we only do one chapter of Isaiah. Uh, but this one is a, this one's a good one, and it's very rich. And so mm-hmm. uh, we definitely want to uh, spend a little, little more, a little extra time on it. Because there's a lot of good stuff here. Uh, that kind of flows from, uh, you know, the previous chapters uh, as well. But uh, let's start with Evan. You know the drill. You're the guest. You get to go first. Please uh, share with us some initial thoughts and reactions to this chapter. Uh, sure, yeah. And first, I'm you know, glad to be back here. Uh, but uh, yeah, chapter 45, uh, I think there was uh, a hammer in... Isaiah's hand uh, and God's hand, I guess, in this, with just the number of times um, that was told, right, of that that uh, God is the only God and He's the Creator. Um, so it, that was just something that just smacked me in the face uh, a ton uh, throughout this uh, this chapter, uh, and just a good reminder that there is only one God uh, and that He is the Maker of us uh, and the Maker of everything. So just uh, just a real, uh, for me, humbling uh, chapter just to know know who I am um, and know who God is. Mm-hmm. And then Scotty, who also is uh, joined by uh, baby April this evening as well. If you hear some some cooing or, or, or sounds in the background, that's uh, that's that's who that is. She's going <laughs> to uh, share her opinions and thoughts as well, I'm sure. Uh, during the Unfortunately, she has not read the chapter. Uh, but uh, when I did, uh, my initial reaction was to see a couple things. Uh, so he talks about uh, Cyrus, right? There's, um, he mentioned Cyrus at the end of 44, and now he's going to talk about him quite a bit. Um, but it seems like all the chapters right now form the same sort of cycle where the mm-hmm. Lord uh, talks about himself being the creator, um, and then he condemns idols. And I guess whoever you know was making the chapters... Uh, putting putting the breaks in between the different chapters was like you know it looks like right here you know he condemns idols uh, so we should probably start a new chapter <laughs> and that's uh, um, you know 45 is no exception to that uh, particular rule um, and the Lord expresses his uh, kingship through predicting the future right there's a lot of similar things from the uh, previous chapters, right? God revealing why we can come to the conclusion that he is God. And, and then, yeah, pointing out um, how foolish idolatry is, right? Worshiping anything other than God. Um, And, but then it also features, right? a, A call for repentance, right? An offer of, of grace 
right? Turn to, I think, you know, very important verse from this chapter, and, and we'll get more into it later. But verse 22 is, turn to mm-hmm. me and be saved, uh, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I think that's a great uh, kind of climax and, and, and sort of, you could say, conclusion to this chapter, which, you know, we'll dive into more later. Um, but we will begin, right, with uh, starting with verse one. And as uh, Scotty mentioned, right, there is uh, a mention of the king of Persia, Cyrus, which is way off in the future, right, when Isaiah uh, writes this. Um, but yeah, let's y'all share, uh, y'all's thoughts and reactions for the, the first, uh, well, let's see the first three verses on, on, uh, the prophecy about Cyrus. Yeah, I think the, you know, I, I kind of was going through a little bit of a history lesson here at, you know, uh, the, you know, the text and trying to see a little bit about Cyrus and a little bit about everything. And I think, you know, one, it's just, and you talked to, I think, uh, Scotty you talked about this and kind of the, uh, showing the kingship through the, uh, so that he is really God through the prophetic, um, uh, language here. And, uh, and, you know, you think about, you know, I think most people believe Isaiah was written between 747, 700 BC, uh, Babylon didn't even take Jerusalem until 597 BC. Uh, and then Cyrus was born around 580 BC. And when we actually see uh, Cyrus take Babylon, it's 539 BC. So I was just kind of thinking about that with that when this was written, this, you know, not only years before Cyrus was actually even born uh, and took Babylon, but even before Babylon took Jerusalem. Uh, and so just really interesting. Uh, and and kind of, again, going back to what Scotty was talking about, just kind of you know, proven that he is, he is God and, and who he, he is, who he says he is, because he is not just, not just saying what's going to happen, but, you know, and the real important thing, not only at the end of 44, but in a, at the beginning of 45 is the calling out Cyrus. Um, it's just uh, really cool to see. So. Right. That's right. Um, and uh, it's funny how Cyrus is sort of like a country name these days. We would think of Billy Ray or uh, <laughs> even even Miley, uh, and it just doesn't sound all that Middle Eastern. But uh, uh, what do I know? However, um, looking at it, you know, there's it's important to note that God uses everyone um, for His purpose. You know, He's He's lifting up uh, rulers, right? They're not they're not being uh, chosen at random, and that in this case, the way he talks about him, he says, who's, um, the Lord says this to Cyrus is anointed, um, which typically that would be reserved for somebody who's a part of Israel, right? Mm-hmm. He says, um, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him uh, to, and disarm kings. Uh, he says, to open doors before him and even city gates will not be shut. And so he's basically saying, um, it's going to seem like Cyrus is being clever when he exploits a, an open uh, spot in the defenses of the city. Uh, but in reality, the Lord set it up, you know, um, you guys are familiar with that trick where you put tape on a, on a door knob where um, it doesn't actually shut. The little mechanism doesn't actually pop out. So that way 
um, you can get back in the room. That's uh, the Lord is saying, you know, he's the one who provided the tape for Cyrus. Um, and it's, it's important when we think about uh, rulers, you know, uh, we're told in scripture that we are supposed to be giving uh, prayer and supplication for, uh, for all rulers, you know, in, in every area. Um, and I remember in ROTC, we used to have to memorize uh, like all these, you know, the secretary of state, the secretary of defense. Uh, I knew all those guys' names uh, back in the early 2000s. Um, I would like to imagine uh, they're all changed by now, but um, but it, it's it's a good reminder that we need to be uh, in we need to be in the know as far as who is who's in control, uh, who needs our prayers, because the fact that somebody is not God's um, the fact that somebody's not trying to please God with our life doesn't mean he wouldn't call them his anointed because he has given them a particular task to do, and he's going to make it easy for them to do it right this passage is a um a great example of god's sovereignty right over men and and over the nations right anyone can be used to accomplish his will right he he decides when everything's going to happen um and then like we look at verse four he says it's for the sake of my servant jacob and israel my chosen so you know, Cyrus doesn't get credit for his accomplishments, right? God did it and he did it for Israel, right? He did it for his people. And and if you think about it, he ultimately, right, did it for, you know, you and me also. Mm-hmm. I mean, because in order for the Messiah to come, right, God is going to use Cyrus then to restore Israel, right? This has to happen first. So even now there's... Uh, you know, God is working out his plan for salvation through this unbeliever, right? I mean, verse four, I name you, though you do not know me. So Cyrus, you know, it, there, I mean, I, I don't think Cyrus ever became a, a, a believer, but God used him all the same. Yeah, I think, you know, that that anointed word, you know, word up in verse one, I think there's a lot of similarities to the, to the Messiah word, which I think, you know, as, as a, as an Israelite probably here in this, you're, you're in what we were talking about through Cyrus, who doesn't know the Lord. This is, and I think we'll see it in verse nine later on when we get there, but just wild to think about like, this guy is going to save us. This guy is, this guy isn't even uh, in the, you know, in the Israelite king, uh, he is not any of these things that we are used to or uh, expect to see. Um, and she, again, I think is all, also pointing towards, you know, a, a type there, right? You know, Jesus obviously wasn't what they thought was going to be um, uh, when, whenever he came. Uh, but same thing, I think you'll, you'll see some of the grumbling of, of, of what they may say and how they react to kind of this in, in, verses, mm-hmm. nine, in verse 9. But it's really... It's really cool, and as I was talking about, I was kind of looking through the history, and there's, there's like, there's, so there's not, there's not a whole lot about the uh, taking this in the Bible. I mean, there's a little bit in Daniel, uh, and and then obviously Ezra talks about letting them go do this um, after after Cyrus takes takes Babylon, uh, which is really cool just to see Cyrus's decree, uh, and, and but 
uh, you know, really, I, I was looking at like it was from the National Geographic and it was talking, there's an, uh, there's an inscription uh, on something uh, that was, you know, that we, that we have today that says that, uh, that uh, in 539 BC, that Babylon, they opened the gates to the Persians and on the inscription, it says in peace amidst joy and jubilation. Uh, so that's kind of goes into here with even the, even the gates uh, will not be shut, open the doors before them. So, I mean, he, and, and then that, like I said, that inscription, like he, he was able to be in peace, which is clearly where, where God is ordaining this and God is, is moving this. I just thought that was really interesting uh, to see that because again, there wasn't a whole lot, what we see in Daniel uh, five, uh, a little bit about this it kind of is going into verse one where it talks about that disarming the kings and at least my my bible in the csb it talks about uh unloosening the waist is that disarm word uh and then uh daniel 5 6 is kind of the same thing whenever the king is here or looking at the inscription on the wall about what's going to happen to him uh before comes, uh he has that that same kind of language of loosening the loin stuff and so it's just uh, kind of seeing the parallels there uh not only in the historical things that we have but then also between the books uh of, of the bible so it was just mm-hmm. it was really really interesting kind of going down that, that history rabbit hole for me good um so yeah and again right like verse six like why does he do it well god is doing it that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. So again, right, this whole thing is is a declaration of God's being the sovereign one. But also, right, again, this, you know, you kind of think, well, why, you know, did everybody know from the rising of the sun and then to the west that the Lord is, you know, is God and that there is no other? because of Cyrus. I don't, I, I, I honestly think that verse six again is a, is a reference again to the Messiah coming, right? That is how people are going to know that God is the Lord, right? It's because the Messiah is going to come and bring salvation, bring grace uh, and satisfy God's justice but he's going to come because Israel gets restored when, when Cyrus allows uh, his people to return. But if you look at like verse, verse, so moving on verse seven and eight says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I'm the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens from above and let the cloud, the clouds rain down righteousness let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Um, first off, I think that, uh, you know, Scotty and Austin, you know, talked about this uh, last week. But uh, this theme is here again, right? Um, this idea, especially in verse 7, right? Light and darkness well-being and calamity right the lord does both right god brings disaster he kills people um he doesn't always bring health and wealth 
right? He brings light to the Jews, darkness and calamity to the Babylonians, to the Chaldeans. Um, and, you know, I think if you really think about this verse, this is a verse that I think people would would kind of struggle with, right? Just like in uh, the previous chapters where the Lord talks about, right, I'm going to, um, I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, right? These, these things like I'm going to destroy these people because I'm good and I'm going to let, you know, and, and, and save you so that you understand what you deserve. But now you'll love me more because I'm being gracious to you. Yeah. I think that theme of like darkness sort of continues in the chapter or really it started in verse three, you know, where he says, I'm going to give you gifts uh, from the darkness and from the hidden places. And I think, you know, what uh, I read that, <clears throat> He's talking about, you know, Babylonian treasures, really, um, things that would have been, you know, hidden, um, because unlike Israel, who apparently just um, other nations uh, do try to keep that stuff um, hidden in a place where they have a little bit more control over it. Um, <clears throat> but I think there's something more to it, you know, especially since uh, verse seven, he's taking credit for the creation of darkness itself and what are the ways in which like as believers, we can get gifts from the dark and from the hidden places. And I think part of that, uh, John Piper tells a story about how he was, uh, in, in a foreign country and he forgot his wallet, right? So he left his wallet in, uh, Europe, let's say, and then, uh, realized it, uh, on the plane probably. Right. So he's heading home, realizes he doesn't have his wallet. And I guess he had to make some other stop. Well, when he gets home, uh, and he's stressing about it the whole time, the way he tells the story. And when he gets home, it's actually waiting for him uh, on his desk in his study. And because, you know, one of the pastors they've been working with uh, noticed the wallet right away. Um, and so mailed it to him. And the, all that stressing he did meant nothing because the Lord had already fixed the problem. Right, like he was already active uh, before the problem was even made aware uh, to uh, John himself. Well, that's an awful lot of how things go for me anyway, is that um, I understand uh, things to be a certain way and that there's just no hope. And then it turns out that the Lord, who has been doing this for a very long time um, in eternity and is aware of so much more than I am, uh, actually is able to fill, fill the need before it presents itself. And so there, there are so many times when the Lord comes through in his faithfulness, um, because he knew about things before they happened. And I think that to me is one of those gifts from the darkness, from the hidden places is that, um, God is always giving you gifts from places, uh, you wouldn't have thought, um, you needed. Uh, he's just so much smarter than us, so much wiser than us. And, um, and you know, just going back to verse one, the whole idea of Cyrus being used by the Lord, it, it reminds us how we need to talk about, um, how we need to talk about the president. Because uh, in, in a sense, uh, the Lord is using anybody in an office that high. Um, and that means whether 
um, whether the guy you like uh, just left or whether the guy you like just took power, um, you know that the Lord is working through them. Um, he's able to make whatever plan he has for them. He's able to make those mountains flat. Uh, so things will go um, in a way that's going to bless the church. And, and perhaps it's our job to sort of figure out where uh, we or the church itself are being blessed by certain leaders um, in order to have a grateful attitude. But also it, it reminds me the, the kind of fear that seems to be growing of, you know, conspiracy theories and the idea that um, there's some sort of, you know, spooky shadow government, you know, pulling the strings and just remembering that um, no matter who's, you know, secretly ruling in the shadows, our Lord gives us gifts from the dark and from the hidden places. You know, he created darkness. And so if, if there is some Illuminati, you know, behind, behind this or that, then we know that we're going to get blessed by them. <laughs> and I think that just changes the whole dynamic. Instead of living based on fear and calling, you know, conspiracy what other people call conspiracy, we're able to look at uh, Cyrus and say, you know, this is God's anointed. You know, this is a tool he's uh, using for this purpose. Yeah, and I, and I think it reminds me a lot, right, of, of Romans 8.20. In knowing all things work together for the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose and really, really trusting that. And I think what, what helps us as believers in these, these tough passages and, these, and really these hard truths, right, of, of knowing that the bad and the good are both sovereignly controlled by God it is, is what, what I kind of talked about in the beginning of what, what hit me so much is just hammering us on he is God, he is the only God, and he is the one who made us. And he is the one, you know, kind of goes into this, right, kind of leading into to, to verses 9 and, and probably through 11. But, you know, we're the clay and we have to humble ourselves uh, in a lot of these things. And we can wrestle through these things, right? We can try to understand these things that are happening. But, but we do have to humble ourselves to say that we are the clay and he is the maker uh, and, and that's some of that tough kind of tough love. I think we've got to tell ourselves sometimes and maybe even tell others sometimes is, is, but, but do we fundamentally believe that he is God and do we believe his promises that he is working those things out for our good if we love him? Um, and that is it, just kind of anchoring in on that. Uh, again, it doesn't, doesn't make every situation easy to, to process through, but I think that's the hope that we have as Christians uh, and believers in God is to say, yes, this situation sucks. Uh, but I hope my hope is in a good God who is working these things out for my good. And, and what we see here, right? Like, so that you may know me, which is our best good is to know him so that we have a life with him. Uh, and it's so it's, 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 it's a hard thing in the moment because we get caught up in our own, what is going on with me right now? But we've got to, again, I think it's, 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 we've got to humble ourselves, which I think is where, what God does next in verse nine, right? Is like, you are clay. I am the maker. I know what I'm doing. I am in control. Trust it. Um, and it kind of goes what George, what you were talking about earlier in 22, just, just turn to me. He doesn't ask a lot. Just turn to me. Right. Yeah. I, 
verses really verses nine through 13, right. Uh, as, as you, you know, are kind of, as you yeah. mentioned, is it's, this is those verse, these verses right here are really God's response. I would say to, to, to the Jews yeah. who don't like his plans, right. They don't like him calling Cyrus, this pagan, right. His servant and, and things like that. Um, and you know, this is this is definitely us, right? We want to argue with God when we don't like what is happening, when we don't agree with what He has going on. But of course, yeah, woe to him who strives with him who formed him, right? Fighting your Creator is it's just not going to end well for you, right? Yeah. You can't win. Yeah, I mean, I put a note there on what is it? It's on both on Nye where in the CSB it says, "Does clay say to the one forming it, what are you making?'" So I just wrote the right. note: "It's dumb to question God." And the next one, or does your work say He has no hands? You know, kind of. I took that as really assuming that there is no maker, there is no God. So I'm like, "It's dumb to question God." It's even dumber to say there is no God. Right. Or in verse ten, "Woe to him who says to a father." What are you beginning or to a woman with what are you in labor? It, it's basically, yeah, just contesting God's promises is, is, it's just absurd, completely absurd. And yeah, like, and then with verse 12, right? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and I commanded all their hosts, right? So you have to give full trust to God's promises because he created everything and he has the power to carry out whatever it is he wants. And then even, yeah. And then God says in verse 13, I have stirred him Cyrus right up in righteousness and I will make all his ways level and he shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward says the Lord of hosts, right? Cyrus didn't get anything out of ending the exile. It was something he's like, you know what? I'm going to do this. Yeah. And it really shows, <laughs> right. you know, it was really ordained, right? That, that shows the sovereignty because you, you read Ezra one versus one through four. I mean, it just kind of opens the book. Bit, right. And it's just Cyrus saying, one, he recognizes God, right? He says, the Lord, the God of the heavens has given me all the kings of the earth. So he recognizes God, which he says he's going to make him know. He's going to make himself known to him. Uh, and then um, any of his people among you, may his God be with you. May you go to Jerusalem and Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is not an Israelite, and he's telling them to go build this uh, city back. And it's uh, it, and so and again, like right, where it says in thirteen, not for a price or buy, bribe. Cyrus does gets nothing out of it. He's just telling them to go do it. Um, uh, wonder. So oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, you wonder, like, wonder if, like, you know, Ezra or, or Nehemiah, one of these people that knew Cyrus, you know, this is only speculation, but, like, showed Cyrus, you know, Isaiah 45 and goes, look, 200 years ago, you were named yeah, uh, and said you were going to do this, you know. Um, yeah, there were a couple of commentaries I read that said that speculated just like that, right, that that, that Jeremiah or, or I guess maybe Isaiah may have may have showed uh him this or daniel i don't know i can't remember which one but yeah that read this to him uh, uh so it would have been daniel would have read this to him 
and uh, maybe this or Jeremiah read, read one of those books uh, where it kind of talks about this a little bit. And, um, or did, did God just stir his heart up uh, randomly uh, to, to do this? You know, we don't know. Let's look at uh, the following verses here, really 14 and uh, oh, seven, 14 through 17. Let's look at 14 through 17. So first off, 14, uh, so this verse, it, it seems to say, right, that God is using this return from exile through Cyrus to save the souls of you know, uh, of these uh, pagans, these in, these Gentiles, right? The Cushites, the Sabaeans, um, right? The, these people are going to realize that true gain is, is found in, in Israel and, 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 you know, through the Messiah uh, as a part of Israel, right? So verse 14 kind of is, is kind of talking about how these people who are not Israelites are going to be saved and worship the Lord, Um because of because of Israel and, and ultimately, you know, or because of Israel being returned from exile. Um, but like verse 15, right? It's, it's almost as if Isaiah kind of, okay, stop. Let me, I, I have to say something here now, yeah. right? Isaiah needs to comment and basically saying, right, I don't get it. I don't get you, Lord. You're beyond me. Yeah, I love that little pause there, right? And you, you know, with a book like Isaiah, you've really got to look at the quotations to see when is he speaking for God and when is he speaking for himself. And this is just like a, uh, not only that that kind of wonder that he has, but he kind of breaks out in these three verses, 15, 16, 17, and, and just prays. Uh, and, and, and I love the, right in the beginning, right? He is, he is recognizing God as Savior, not Cyrus. Like he just kind of breaks out in that, uh, in that, uh, in that phrase. And verse 17 says it again. Saved by the Lord, uh, and He is recognizing uh, who who God is, and like I said, He just couldn't really contain Himself because it's just real quick, and then He goes right back back into speaking to the Lord. So, Scotty, what do you think about that phrase that you know you are a God who hides Himself? Well, I think that it's kind of the same theme of sort of like dark, like hiddenness uh, that He's already hit on before. So, like. Uh, really just showing God's sovereignty over the things that are unseen um, when you know he's going to compare himself again to idols later which essentially they, they only are they only exist as an image right like not like a metaphorical image but a literal image you know and so um, it's no surprise that many of us worship the idea of like having a good image but in this case, what the Lord is uh, saying, or what the Lord is calling himself, I guess you could say, is uh, that he doesn't need to consist of a certain image because he is who he says he is. He doesn't need a front. Uh, what that means is that whether or not you can see him, which, of course, we can't, um, you know, I, I guess it kind of goes with First um, Peter 2 saying that you know though you have not seen him you love him right and yeah and and you know if you think about it also the lord right what do we know about god 
Well, we only know what we know because he revealed it, right? Right. But uh, so verse, right, verse 16 and 17 is kind of presents a contrast, right, between God's people and idol worshipers, right? Idols don't satisfy. They don't solve any problems. But on the other hand, Israel is going to be saved with an everlasting salvation. And I, I read a commentary that uh, basically said this, the Israel that he's, that Isaiah is writing about in verse 17 is the spiritual Israel, right? Which includes us as, as, as God's people, right? Be and we know this because many of the idol worshipers are Israelites. Mm -hmm. So it couldn't really apply just to, all of Israel that wouldn't that wouldn't make sense so this seems to be a spiritual Israel or, or uh, the people who are the elect right who have been redeemed and and saved uh, by the Lord so uh, George are you suggesting that this is returning to the the theme of a remnant uh, in some sense I guess you could say we yes absolutely Then we have verse 18, right? For thus says the Lord. So here's the why, right? For verse 17, why the Lord is doing it. Uh, in which he's saying, right? Again, it's to reveal who he is. That he created the heavens. He formed the earth and made it. Uh, he didn't create it empty, right? That he is the Lord and he is no other, right? He is Yahweh. Or he is Yahweh. Because he's the creator, right? That's how we know that he is the, the I am. So um, verses 20, you know, starting in verse 20, 20 and 21, uh, right? Again, there's this, this call to have all the people come together, right? The, the people who, who worship the idols, right? Uh, there is this, right, as, as Scotty has pointed out many times, this imagery of a courtroom, right, where the Lord is like, all right, present your case, right? Uh, tell, you know, explain why you are praying to a God that can't save. Uh, yeah, who not only can't save, I got uh... I kind of think of it as like some sarcasm here, right? Or right. You know, those who carry their wooden idols, like you, you've got to carry your, your God, right? And I think we can, we can obviously apply that to ourselves. We look at the, the foolishness and the silliness of the things that we put our hope and trust in, right? And they're, they're just worthless and, and dumb. And, you know, we may not be carrying around a, a wooden structure to, to worship, but we certainly put our hope and faith in things that are, that are really stupid. Uh, but just the, just the, the imagery there of, right, we, we just heard so much about who God is and what he's created and everything and, and his power and everything. And we're talking about uh, we got to carry our, our idols with us. Right. Yeah, there's uh, I noticed God has a very sarcastic sense of humor when it comes to idols uh, in Isaiah <laughs> you know, throughout the book. Right. The Lord then says through Isaiah, you know, who told you this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? 
and there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Uh, this is in verse 21. Um, but right, the, the Lord is saying that he is, I, I, I thought this phrase was good, a righteous God and a Savior, right? So he's saying he is Savior and he is righteous. This, so he reveals himself both in his judgment of sinners, but then also his salvation. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, the, the, the salvation doesn't compromise his righteous justice, right? His salvation satisfies it. Now, right, Isaiah and, and the people reading it at, at the time don't get the picture, the full picture, but we do, right, in that it's Jesus who endures the cross, endures the punishment, which satisfies God's justice and then provides salvation and grace and and mercy to those who believe. But I thought that was cool that that was, you know, again, in there, sort of this, this, um, you know, a reference to uh, uh, the gospel of, of Jesus. Then you see right there in 22, right? There's, there's mm-hmm. what, what is our response, right? Is it's just to turn to me. We, you know, we spent this entire chapter, uh, God kind of laying out everything that he, he does, uh, the things he's going to do to open, open doors, literally open city gates for Cyrus. He's going to be the one working to do this. And it's, it's so just simplified for us and for, you know, for, for the people that are reading this originally and hearing this originally and for us today, right. Turn to me and be saved mm-hmm. all the ends of the earth. So, you know, simple and it's all the ends are for everyone kind of pointing towards, uh, I think what we see in acts. Yeah. You know what? I, I understand. I've, I've, I've heard this, that this is that Isaiah 45, 22 is Charles Spurgeon's conversion verse. I did read that as well, actually, when I was preparing for this. Yeah. Okay, so then it is true. Kept it from me. I, I, I read that. that was, he went into the, like in the back of a, of a church, I believe, and the, the preacher was really just reading, wasn't uh, speaking on it much, but just, just said the words. And that is what, which I think is a great picture uh, and a great example of, right, we don't got to go outside the bounds of scripture speaks for itself and, and God saves through his word. Uh, but yeah, that, I think that's a great example of that. But I, I did read the same thing. Okay. Yeah. And it's, I mean, cause it is a great verse, right? I, it is kind of a verse that you don't re- that I think people have read and just kind of go past, but it is, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. And, and notice that it's right. It says, turn to me and be safe. So yes, it's an invitation, but it's also a command, right? Yeah. The Lord commands us do this, right? And yeah, and it's offered, right? Salvation is offered to all people, right? All the ends of the earth. Anybody can repent and enter his kingdom. So then verse 23, right? By myself, I have sworn from my, from my mouth, has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. So the Lord guarantees his promise 
by his own name, right? By myself, I have sworn. And, right, there's no greater name than the great I am, right? He's been talking about for many chapters, you could say the whole book, he's been explaining this is who I am, right? This is this is what I do. This is what I can do. This is my power. This is my sovereignty. This is my might. And I guarantee this promise by my name, right? I swear on my name that this, that, that I will save you if you turn to me. Yeah, really, uh, I mean, I see or I hear a lot of Paul from Philippians. I know we're going through that at church, right? We're just back in Paul kind of, it seems like he's echoing the words from here in, in chapter 2 of Philippians and verse 10 11 when he's talking about every knee will bow and every tongue will swear uh, or will declare the name of Jesus. Uh, so I just, uh, uh, such similarities in the in the verbiage here in Philippians. And uh, always, it's always crazy you know when you're hearing hearing the ser- sermons right or like we're hearing through, through philippians and then and then going through the old testament and i think i, I read something uh, i don't know if it was if it was just a couple of days ago it was talking about hey you want to uh you want to uh have the best kind of commentary uh, uh in the bible is is really the uh the old testament is a commentary of the new testament and vice versa mm-hmm. well it's interesting you should say that because in this chapter you know, the Lord wants to prove to us uh, that he can see the future and show his prophets the future. And clearly he can because he basically showed Isaiah uh, Romans 9, the uh, uh, potter and the clay. Yeah. Um, and uh, definitely uh, linking passages like that um, shows us what kind of a uh, a living... Uh, word the Bible is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also gives you some trust and comfort in the, the canon of Scripture, right? Of, of, of these are really the right books, right? Because they're, they're the consistency uh, of, of the word of the Lord through it. So mm-hmm. now it says right also in verse 23 to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Um, And then in verse 24, right? uh, To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. Uh, So, you know, here is the Lord declaring, right, that there will ultimately be complete recognition of his sovereignty and complete submission, even by those who rejected him, right? those in rebellion will also have to ultimately admit that he is sovereign. But, right, verse 25, in the Lord, all the offspring of Israel, which, you know, as I talked about when we were talking about in verse 17, right, this is God's children. Uh, these, are, these are people who believe all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory, right? We shall receive redemption through Jesus, and that will ultimately lead to glory, right? We praise for the Lord. Yeah. Because, again, this is only in, his, only in him is salvation found, right? Verse 24, only in the Lord, 
it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. Well, that concludes chapter 45. As per usual, we uh, will do some application. How can verse, or excuse me, chapter 45 apply to us and how we live our lives? Evan, you get to go first. All right, I'm going to go back to, you know, the, the sovereignty, trusting in the sovereignty of God, right? And, you know, I think you see the, see what we, what we believe in verse 9 to be kind of Israel's response to, to God using Cyrus. Um, and so I think just a lot of application there for us, and no, no matter what's going on around us as believers, uh, really, really trusting uh, who God is uh, in, in any situation, small uh, or big. And I and kind of go back into to really kind of level setting uh, myself on, uh, on who God is. And I, like, and I, you know, I talked about this already about, you know, how many times in just this 25 verse after uh, it, different variations of I am the only God has said, around 11 times and different variations of God is the creator uh, of everything is about 15 times and only 25 verses. I mean, it just, and that's, you know, kind of having that view of who God is and that he is in control and that just remind yourself of that uh, as, as the day to day, whatever. Uh, And so uh, that was the, the big application that I took away from this chapter. Mm-hmm. So I have two things. Uh, first one, right, is uh, if you have not placed your faith in Christ as your Savior, if you have not repented from your sins and ask the Lord to save you and, and be gracious to you, uh, I encourage you to do so, right? As the Lord says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. If you ask the Lord to have mercy on you, if you you believe that Christ satisfied God's perfect justice on the cross, then you will be saved, right? And... Better to do it now than later, right? Eventually, you are going to bow before him and admit his sovereignty. Um, the other thing is just uh, in, in regard to idols. This is something I was actually going to share last week, but it applies here as well, uh, right? We look at idols, and, and certainly with a lot of people, Think of idols, right, as the wooden things that are carried around um, by these these Israelites and these uh, other nations. And it's like, yeah, that's stupid, right? Why would I do that? Um, but we're all guilty of idolatry, and it's important for us to find out what those idols are and to uh, address that, right? Uh, so I do want to uh, – this, this is from Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. But he does have kind of a little questionnaire, something that that we all should ask ourselves to kind of help us identify our our idols. Uh, The first one is when you daydream, what occupies your mind? Right. What do you usually think about when you're not focused on work or or something? 
right? What do you dream about? The other one is how do you spend your money? You know, if you follow the money, you'll see probably something that you, you value uh, very greatly. Um, another one is what frustrates you when it is unanswered in a prayer, yeah. right? Sometimes, okay, prayer is unanswered and you go, oh, well, okay. Well, what about the things like you pray about God says no and you get really ticked off about it, yeah. right? Really frustrated. That might that that is probably something that you have turned into an idol, right? Something something there. And then just the other one, the other question is, where do you lack control of your emotions, right? Where are you prone to just give in to anger or sadness or fear? Because something there is valued more than it should be. Um, so. I encourage you that if you are unaware of what are idols in your life to uh, think about those questions and uh, confess and, and repent right before the Lord uh, of, of these idols that are in your life. But Scotty, close us out. What are some what is a something we can take away from this chapter? Uh, sure, I, I would think the first thing that jumped out was the first thing we talked about you know, was uh, Cyrus being used as Lord's instrument and how uh, we need to look for uh, those instances in our own uh, life where God is using people that we would not expect him to use. Uh, thinking of, you know, a gift from a non-believer and realizing that that's a proof of the Lord working in their life. And then uh, whether it's your, your boss, some kind of a, a co-worker, you know, seeing that the Lord has been working on them for their entire life. Uh, we don't know what his goals are. We don't know how close he is uh, to seeing fruit uh, in any of that. But the plan for us to uh, look seriously upon non-believers because the Lord does um, is, is the main thing I'd like to take away from this chapter, uh, hands on, uh, what that looks like. Uh, I think it just means intentionally looking for, uh, people to see evidence of God's grace in lives that otherwise you might think would be devoid of God's grace. Um, seeing his blessings that he has, uh, left doors open for them. Um, and then trying to connect the dots to see how, uh, the kingdom, how the, uh, church, is being blessed by uh, the Lord's positive treatment of non-believers, especially those in power. All right. Awesome. That, uh, that concludes our episode for this evening. Uh, next week, it'll be Scotty and I, and we get to do three chapters, actually. 46, 47, and 48. A tall That's order. Right. If you're listening and you have any interest in co-hosting that episode, uh, please, uh, I don't know, text George, maybe. <laughs> I picked a good week to do it if I missed a three-chapter week. So. Right. You just got to read one. Yeah, you just had to read one chapter this week. Um, well, all right. Um, this is George Cagle signing off for, along with Scotty Jinx and Evan Melcher for Redeemer Radical Reflections from Reading Rightly, also just called the five R's. Via con Dios. <laughs> <laughs>